0: Welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, we love seeing you live every Thursday night in Facebook land, YouTube land. The chats are always lit. Love seeing you there. And just as a reminder, your chat could show up on the show. And If you can't catch us live, catch the replay or on your favorite podcasting app, you know, me, my name is John Rewark. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. Next up let's do Jason Richards, since he was so excited last week.
1: Oh, absolutely. Hey, John, Jason Richards here, past master of vacation, lodge, number 16 in Cliff, Virginia, Virginia. That's Robert down there. Hey, Robert, dumb little Jason. Um, He's sitting secretary of Space Novum. I what don't know Space doing? Novum's number.
2: Don't ever forget it. It's 1183, bra. 1183. Oh, okay. Like, We're up there.
3: Nice. Cool. And then who else do we have? We asked uh, Joe Martinez. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Hello. Hey. Hi. Uh, Joe Martinez, still worshipful master. Manassas Lodge number 182. And. Uh, yeah not secretary for life like robert and uh damn glad to be here all right do you hate me joe no i love and adore you sir i love you too Mm -hmm. that's so sweet and our special
0: guest host for the night returning in grand fashion the one the only brother chris really how you doing
4: hello good evening guys good evening good evening
0: Good what evening. Masonic accolade would you like to lead off with
4: tonight? What is your just good old fashioned brother? Uh, oh, he's one of those. I know. I'm mm. one of those weird guys. <laughs>
0: yeah. What's your favorite title? Well, I love me. It's the good old brother.
2: You just right. good old brother. Good old bro.
3: You got to like, no your
2: thumbs underneath your uh, suspenders and kind of.
4: Well, I say <laughs> it.
3: Yes.
0: Nice. Well, it's Awesome to see you again. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna have some fun talking about Masonic history sure. tonight. But before we do, let's get into a special shout out for the patrons who support the show. You guys are awesome. Head over patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. Um because Masonic Education is awesome, so you should support it. Yeah. Agreed. Tarot card of the week. We're at that time. Oh my goodness. Jason. rushing to his Um, deck get some get some what you got there
1: all right tonight we have the green glyphs tarot this is a deck by james eads out of los angeles california uh he does also the prisma visions deck and the light visions deck Mm. um he also does the Green Glyphs Lenormand uh, deck that I think I've showed off before and also has a rune deck and an Oracle deck of the same style. Uh, got, we're going to have the tarot tonight. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So if you, uh, if you need some Mancy for your Cardos, then uh, <coughs> then he's the right guy to go to.
0: And tonight oh. we've got. Oh, let's see. What do I we have know. here? Well, on the topic of the Freemasons and the White House? this so is pull the card up.
1: appropriate
0: ooh the emperor the, the emperor. emperor good
1: <laughs> like so emperor signifying you know might power it's very masculine card
0: mm-hmm. authority father figures
1: structure
0: wisdom, wisdom the guy in the chair right the guy in the big the big seat big chair the
2: oriental yeah. and remember so, he just basically says uh do it
3: do it do it
2: unlimited right. power But sorry well we Lord. don't have an emperor not sorry
0: in the united states we do have a seat of authority for sure that's right in the white house so good good pull good pull yeah You. Yeah. awesome well, that's a great segue into tonight's topic. Can't wait to hear more about it, <laughs> uh, because I believe someone in here recently published a book on the White House and Freemasons. As did
1: anyone can publish a
0: book? That's anyone, true. Anyone at all. Uh, so before we dive into the content, I really like how you kind of set the stage, because I, when I was doing early research as a young Mason full of zeal. I ran into a lot of the same problems you did. So tell me why hmm. why is Chris Rooley the the guy who's going to be publishing the book on the Freemasons in the White House?
4: I I'm not even sure why I'm the one doing it. There's <laughs> this topic's been here for 200 years. The why guy. am I doing this? Um <laughs> so no yeah. What else I, did? I, you know, honestly, sometimes it's just Literally, no one thought about doing it. No, I, I, so I, when I was serving as the uh, Grand Historian and Librarian for the Grand Lodges District, Columbia, uh, I started about doing this project about five years ago, and it was a function of it was just a practicality. It was it was like I was getting questions about, you know emails or questions or phone calls about, hey, Chris, we're trying to do a ceremony or a anniversary of this event. And we think the president participated. Do you know anything? And so I, I sort of had to go through what was already there, right? There are several books on the topic already written. Some of them were in the 80s or 90s. There was one good one on George Washington, you know, in the 1920s or 30s that collected a lot of this information, but there wasn't one source. And unfortunately, while going through this and trying to compile everything, sort of like uh, what Mark Taber did with his George Washington book, I realized th- three quarters of the information that I found in Masonic papers were either incorrect or or some slightly off. Dates were off, people were off, locations were off. And so I I, I sort of had to go through. And the first three years were spent just trying to collect information from every Masonic source I can find. Now, fortunately, I lived near the District of Columbia or in the District of Columbia at the time. Now I live in Maryland. And so I have access to the House of the Temple. I can, you know, reach out to other Masonic libraries of Maryland and Virginia to help me out. And so I was able to go through every Masonic resource, every Masonic book that I could find any proceeding. And then COVID happened. And Uh. we were all, you know, stuck in our houses. and, and, And so I had the additional benefit of now having a lot of free time, doing whatever I could find, listening to great podcasts from brothers, perhaps in this video. And so I, you know, had the process of going through presidential libraries, digital libraries, going to the Library of Congress when they were when they were available to have folks get back into the space. And so I started to look at non-Masonic sources. So one of the great things that COVID did for research as well as Masonic research is it enables a lot of presidential libraries to go digital. And so a lot of that stuff was pushed into the digital space. And so I had the fortunate to get, go into the Truman libraries to go to the, you know, Virginia libraries or presidential libraries and pull out a lot of this Mm. information. And so 40% of the 450 number of, you know, activities that I found in this book are stuff that never appeared in a masonic per- periodical nice. in a journal in a newspaper or anything
0: and it's not just that i mean that's that's amazing in itself and i don't want to undersell what you did as far as like validating right because we all we've heard facts or we've heard rumors but yeah until you actually see the lodge minutes all right, or you have right. some other uh circumstantial evidence that supports it corroborates it then right who knows, right? Because we, we, you know, I don't know. Heaven forbid we idolatry, idol worship uh, these uh, previous. Um, idolized, what yeah. <laughs> idolize. Idolatrize. Yeah. yeah. I, golly
1: day. <laughs> you
2: as you wish, much.
0: Jason. As you wish. Oh, yeah. As you wish.
1: That's a good boy. That yeah.
4: So be. i I, I I've had to go through that process of digging through the weeds to try to find things. And and one of the nice things is, you know, now online, there's a lot of great resources and a lot of old journals, Masonic journals, Masonic periodicals, a lot of things are being digitized. And we're starting to see, because of copyright, we're starting to see a lot of the 1920s, 1930s books starting to come out and become publicly available. And so I was able to scrape that, pull that into what I call Rulipedia, which is my own sort of document library of all Masonic nice. activities related to the, the White House and the Freemasons. And Pretty so I, I wrote this book, right? It was, it was an 80 to 90,000 or 90,000 word document. I submitted it to the publisher and the publisher was like, this is amazing. Cut this in half. Cause no one will read this because no one's going to read a 400 or 800 page book on, you know, with every single reference citation note about the Freemasons and so what we did was I cut it down to a more readable version of the book in my introduction which I I shared with you guys earlier uh, this week um, I, I even mentioned that I had to take out a lot of the stuff that didn't occur in the area of the district of columbia or around the white house just because it would have been a second volume and so there's there's a lot there and if i when i when i did find something like that in the back of the book i included a very detailed list of all the activities associated with presidents their biographies their masonic biographies their resumes you can call them which include you know references to all these dates so if it's not covered in the book If I did find something that I think was legitimate, that was second reference that I could find in a second source, I also um, included that. And so, you know, it it serves to me, it serves as a great resource as if you're you're just trying to do a presentation for your lodge, or if you want to give this book to your wife or your spouse or your significant other, excuse me, and you want them to understand a little bit about the history of Freemasonry in the White House and the presidents, I think this is a good primer. Is this, you know, is this the most detailed that gives you every single brother that participated in the Masonic procession to lay the cornerstone? No, that would have been the Art de Hoyas 900 page book that I'd love to publish one day. But that's, that's, that's in the pipeline.
0: Release the Snyder Cut. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing that is nice about the style that you wrote too is it's storytelling. Right. Uh, it's not yeah. just facts, figures. This person was here on this date. This person was here on that date. They went over here. They had green beans, right? They left. No, it actually, it's, it, it tells a story of the relationship, not, not if, just if the president was a Mason, I don't yeah. know if you knew George Washington was a Mason as
4: well. What? Strangely, I, not covered I, in my book, not covered at all. <sighs> No, Ad, I'm joking. Well, I'm joking. First of all, oh. as, as a member of AW22, I would feel <laughs> terrible if well, I didn't include George. R- Actually, let, Masonic charges would be proffered if I did not include George Washington.
3: So let, let, me, let me let me let me step step on that fire a little bit and just say one of the things that I liked about what I read was, is we get a, a really good piece of work by you that touches on more than George Washington. Like you know, believe me, I live in Virginia. We get it. George Washington was a Mason, but there's all these other people that did really important things. And they were also presidents or they were involved with their fraternity. So it's really
4: nice to hear about them yeah.
3: as well. So
4: those, yeah. you know, and Washington set the standard for what I mean, he, he literally set the standard for what a Masonic interaction with the presidents and the Masons looks like. He set the standard for how you communicate with the Masons. He set the standard for public events and activities. And so You cannot take away that from him. What I was trying to do in my first chapter, and by the way, these chapters are chronological, so you go through the administrations as you go through it. What I wanted to do in that first chapter was, great, we talk about George Washington... George Washington is a presence in the chapter because he's the president. But let's talk about James Hoban. Let's talk about all the stone workers and, and the craftsmen and the Sawyers and the Taylors and all these individuals that came to the District of Columbia to build the physical space. You know, that's the reason why the book is not called The Presidents and the Freemasons. It's called The White House and the Freemasons because I wanted exactly. to really focus on the people who lived there, who worked there, the people who who... We don't cover, you know, there was a brother on the chat that said, oh, this topic has been covered before. This is boring. Well, this book covers a topic that you probably, you don't know the gardeners of the White House who were masons. You don't know the executive officers, the secretaries, all these individuals that were there that contributed, that engaged. So I hope that, you know, there's a lot of, and obviously we'll talk more about it as we go through some of the key things that I found, but I think there's a little bit more there that you'll be surprised to find
0: right. It's masonry adjacent right they don't, It's not just about the Masonic presidents right so it's it's Correct. everything that that surrounds the fraternalism and the White House. so right. I think it's it's a good it's a good scoping of the book again, something that you don't hear much about
1: right. I mean one one chapter I think i'm I'm super interested. And in in general is your chapter on anti-Masonry and the anti-Masonic period. So
4: John um, Quincy Adams was, I'm so glad you mentioned that Jason. John Quincy Adams might be one of my favorite presidential presidential presidents who dealt with Masons. If, if you say, if we make the claim that Truman was the most Masonic out of all, he was the most active. He was a past grandmaster. He knew his ritual. Well, you know, the night of when he became, President of the United States, he was going to go to AW22 because he he had a brother of his or a a brother, not a physical brother, but a brother of his lodge back in Missouri. His son was going to be initiated or petitioned on, and so that was one of the things that he was thinking of the minute after he was sworn in. He thought, well, I, I had my obligation to go to AW22. Let's make sure we send a guy over. So if you're talking about a guy like Truman, who was very active, who supported, who knew what he was doing. John Quincy Adams is perhaps the antithesis of that where he was not a Mason, but he was thoroughly involved in Masonry because he was forced into it. There were, and, and we have letters between his, his father, you know, John Adams and John, John Quincy Adams, I call him JQA, um, uh, between him where they talk about Masonry. Um, John Adams says, listen, I was there when the founding fathers were forming the government. Masonry didn't play a critical part, but we saw how masonry played a critical part in Europe. We understand that masonry somehow had an effect there in Europe with masons and within the different, you know, political and different uh, kingdoms and monarchies. And so Adams was acutely aware of masonry and he passed down that discussion to his son. And it frustrated John Adams or John Quincy Adams so much because after his father died, so many Masons and non-Masons reached out to him, inquiring, "Well, surely was your father was a Mason because he was so active in the founding of the government?" And 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 John Adams to say, "No, he was not." J.Q.A. said, he, "My father was not," and in fact, he was frustrated. One of the things that was really great, one of the things that I am so sort of fortunate, and right now I'm I'm writing up, and and I'm hopefully Sean Iyer will will publish my uh, letters. I actually went through and pulled all the Masonic references to John Quincy Adams' um, diary. So his diary is digitized. It's available online. You can go through it yourself. I went through it myself, and I pulled out all the Masonic references. There is a mention. There's a He spends a week copying down a Masonic cipher. He is not a Masonic president. He was never initiated, but he wanted to learn more about it. And so one of his colleagues, at the time he was, uh, he was not serving as president, he was as an as, uh, anti-Masonic member of Congress, he took a week to write down and transcribe a Masonic cipher from the Entered Apprentice all the way to the Knights Templar. He knew about Masonry. He read about Masonry. He understood Masonry better, I would argue, then some Masonic Presidents, then some non-Mason presidents or sorry, non Presidents in the Administration. And towards the end of his life, what was the last book he published? He published Letters on a Masonic Institution, which were letters between him and Robert Livingston, who at the time was a high-ranking Mason. I think he was a Grand High Priest at some point. And so he, he was having these discussions, making the arguments, making the claims that, look, I've read these papers, I've read your ciphers, I've read the obligations, and these things are fine, but they don't really, you know, to him, he thought that this institution was just a silly social club. And any of these legitimate cases that any of these Masons were making about, oh, you know, we did this, we did this, we did this. Well, show me where in the ritual you make these claims. So he has a really interesting, and I, and I hope you read the book. I, I, I hope you also check out the philolathes which covers the his papers and his his diaries because it really to me underscored we don't talk about john quincy adams enough in masonry to understand the anti-masonic concept or or what he was pushing sorry that was a long diatribe jqa for the win jqa that's
3: That's what we have you here for is long diatribes (laughs) yes (laughs) yes
0: uh so so go ahead jason So
1: Chris, can you, can you give us one or two of the most interesting things to you personally that you were able to put into the book? Just things that just wouldn't occur to anybody else.
4: So, so you mean, you mean like interesting interactions or.
1: Interesting interactions, interesting uh, events. Yeah. you know. Um, Something that might go against you know conventional wisdom, or like, well, whoa, wait, he did that, or
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think the 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 two that came that sort of struck me that I was like, this is really cool. When I found it, it was in newspaper clippings. It wasn't even a Masonic source. It was, this is part of that forty percent. Um, it was cool that that. Abraham Lincoln received a Knights Templar escort to uh, a Masonic event. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't like a traditional, it was a social event that happened to be sponsored by Masons. And there was a, his, one of his assistants at the time who actually was a high ranking. He was in fact, the grand master of the grand encampment of Knights Templar. His name is Benjamin B. French. And I may have covered him in a, in a previous Ooh. video. I, I, I love BBF, not just because, Joe is a member of BBF Lodge. We're getting some feedback. Sorry about that. Um, Not only only that, (laughs) um, French was acutely aware of his position in the United States at the time as a high-ranking member of the fraternity. In fact, I would argue that he was the highest-ranking Masonic official. One of the cool things about his diary, which is also at the Library of Congress— he had such an interesting engagement with the president because at, at the day of when he so so French was originally a democrat he switches over and becomes a republican because he was disenchanted and disillusioned with what was happening with the democrat democrats back then in 18 you know 50 something he switches over and becomes a republican he actually serves as the chief marshal of Abraham Lincoln's inauguration he manages He sets up the whole project. He then is hoping to get a job in the administration. He's been looking for it. He's hoping for it. um, And he didn't get one until the day of, I think it was April 14th or 15th of, you know, uh, um, Lincoln's first administration. He comes in the office. He asks the president, you know, is there another opportunity? Are there any opportunities for for a job? And he goes, actually, um, Mr. French, I do have a job for you. I think we're going to nominate you as commissioner of public buildings, which is basically a precursor to the architect of the Capitol. And it just so happens, he said, but please give me some time because now French didn't realize this, but earlier that morning, Lincoln found out that the Confederate army or what would become the Confederate army launched an attack on Fort Sumter. Right. And so this becomes French's French now is enveloped in the politics and in the masonry Of Washington DC. He is still the Grand Encampment. He was a past Grand Master, served for seven to eight years as a Grand Master of DC, personally laid the cornerstone of the White House, sorry, not the White House, the Washington Monument, and the Smithsonian during his term as, as Grand Master. Later on, he joins Lincoln's administration as Commissioner of Public Buildings, and basically serves as the Ambassador of Freemasonry to Lincoln. He is the one that helps, you know, they pass this really interesting resolution of support supporting the president through a grand campman and that's one of the very few instances of political resolutions passing national masonic organizations saying we support the president we we believe what the president is doing a good thing and you have these small little events and so one of those small little events that i just Randomly found in a newspaper, never mentioned it in any other newspaper, never mentioned it in his, well, actually, he does mention it in his diary, but that's the only other place where it's mentioned. Is he, um, French is also, uh, leading this program as a fundraiser to help raise money for women of veterans who, uh, who died in the war, widows of veterans. And they have this big Masonic, well, it's not, it's a big ball. And the Masons were basically gonna sponsor the last night of the ball. And so French mentions to the president, hey, Mr. President, this is the last night of this event. It would be really great if you attended. And so French gets uh, you know, uh, Lincoln and his party to attend the session. French arrives at the front door of the event. He whisks the president in a row of Knights Templar, you know, sort of create a line in the middle of the dance hall. They march through that line, the president speaks for a little bit, there's a little bit of a speech, and I think this is the time when there's a little, you know, Masonic or not Masonic, Templar drill practice or formation or drill that occurs. And so the event, probably he stays at the event for about an hour or an hour and a half, but that's one instance of uh, a Masonic activity with, with Abraham Lincoln. Now, French is the one, Benedict French is the one who solidifies to me that you know there was a there was a letter after the president was assassinated there was a letter I believe it was from a grand past grand master of New York reaching out to French saying do you know if the if the president had ever an interest in freemasonry well according to French's own personal statement his response to that past grand master he said that he knew that he told him that he would be interested in joining freemasonry after his term as president was over oh, and that's the that's the only thing that he knew now he heard that from the guy who would have been it would have been easily for him to facilitate a masonic initiation and and get him through the masonic degrees this you know french would have made sure that Lincoln would have been taken care of from a Masonic standpoint. And so there was an incentive for him to try to do it, but he never pushed the subject with Lincoln because there was obviously a lot of stuff going on that he should, needed to
0: focus on. Should have joined a one day class. That's all one I'm saying. Day, one day conferrals, one man. Day I'll conferral. tell you. Slip right on in. Yeah.
1: Because of how they're the Fords. No.
4: <laughs> Theater's eating. Yeah. Yeah. So, the French has a, has a, those, that's one of those interesting little, you know, interesting little tidbits. Um, the other one that I just found particularly interesting was Eleanor Roosevelt's engagement with the Masons. We don't really talk about the, the vice, uh, the, not the vice president, the first ladies engaging with the presidents. In fact, I, I couldn't find any Masonic paper on it in any, in any journal, but go through Eleanor Roosevelt's. Uh, diary go through the Knights Templar of the District of Columbia and we find when Eleanor Roosevelt was serving as first lady every single year there was a Masonic we call it an Easter sunrise service and I'm sure Masons or Knights Templar is certainly very familiar with that project and so every year the Knights Templar would invite her and her husband to participate in those ceremonies now given franklin roosevelt franklin d roosevelt's condition his health condition he was in no position to march he was no position to in fact the white house was keeping his you know his health condition a secret and so she served as the ambassador to freemasonry the patroness i'd like to say for knights templar she attended almost every single one of those sessions if available she went about Eight or nine of those she and she rarely missed one if she missed one it was because she was traveling out and she she wouldn't make it back
0: now why do it you got, think that is what why was what was her fascination with the um masons?
4: i think she i think she really found the 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 organization interesting she certainly understood and saw what the masons were doing from a philanthropic standpoint she saw that this was a non-denominational uh, you know, religious event, and so I think she 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 saw that there was something important here and something good here. In fact, she there are other references of her receiving. She uh, welcomed a delegation of tall cedars. She welcomed a delegation of Masonic clubs, which were very popular in the 1920s and 1930s. They had a national convention. She received that national convention in the, in the district, and so she sort of served as the Masonic. You know, the Masonic contact at the White House while FDR was away. Ironically, you would think FDR would be the one that was very active and would attend meetings, but he really didn't. It was it was it was Eleanor who, who did so. And and so I'm I'm you know quite pleased and I was very surprised when I started to collect that information going, This is a whole section. You can do a whole thing on just Eleanor Roosevelt. And apparently BBF as well, and BBF. Yeah, <laughs> that is what. That's one of my goals in my life is to is to sort of curate the Benjamin movie French papers and pull the Masonic uh, Masonic papers and his notes on on Masonry. All that stuff is at the you library. You heard it here Congress. first. That's that's the next. You heard it here. Well, <laughs> that's the next. There's there some other. There's some other books in the pipeline.
2: <laughs> Chris, all I can think about as you're talking about this is. It's it's like when we read, uh, we would go out and we would read something like A House Undivided. Right. And then Mike Halloran comes out with his book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, which destroys yes. some of those stories, but then tells even more amazing things that happen in the background. And it's very similar. You know, I've read through so, I mean, I've read, I don't know, maybe I've made thousands, thousands of Masonic papers um, over the years. And, and so many of them have this sort of romanticized anecdotal stories about the presidency or people adjacent to the presidency. And uh, some of them quite unbelievable. Some of them, you know, you're reading it and you're going, that's just a really nice romantic tale. Right. However, I highly doubt it. And it seems like what you've done here really is give the more, It's almost like the extraordinary from the ordinary. You know what I'm saying? It's really a a sweet, nice look at a lot of these things that truly just would never typically see the light of day without somebody with your passion putting them on the page.
4: Well, I appreciate that. And I hope Mike will be okay with me revealing that Mike was the editor of my book. Um, And so Mike Halloran... Uh, who is an expert on freedom in the civil war. And so oh, nice. I I am very pleased. I I I sometimes feel like I'm annoying Mike because of all the information I sent him. And uh, but no, he's been very helpful and he was the one that, you know, he would go through it and tell me, really focus on this. The stuff that you have here is really great and really up because again, like you said, we get these stories. There's like this telephone game and I'm sure you guys all know this. There's this telephone game of like, here are the five same facts on president XYZ. And it gets repeated in every Masonic journal and every Masonic, whatever, you know, and, and every, and, and so I can certainly understand from a Mason who's been maybe a Mason for 20 years or 30 years. And it's like, Oh, I know everything about the presidents because it's the same five or six facts and factoids well i'm here to tell you that the field of masonic or freemasonry in the presence of the united states is still in this nascent undeveloped quarter there's still so much stuff out there having cutting a lot of stuff from this book hurt me because i was just like i, I wish i could put all this into a thousand page doom because people will maybe some 12 people will buy this book maybe if it was but there's a lot of there and 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 the final point to that is i think when we focus on these fantastical stories, the, the District of Columbia is arranged in a certain position, or, you know, these stories that you see on uh, a certain books written by a certain non-Masonic author. When we focus on those and we don't focus on, or we don't put a lot of time on these interesting stories about the Knights Templar marching on the White House, and I think, John, you have a photo of of that on the slide there of, you know, the, the annual Masonic or regular annual Masonic, they called it the White House Templar inspection. They, Nice Templar would routinely visit the White House and have the presidency of the United States, you know, watch them process. They would acknowledge their arrival. They would march through the gates of the White House onto the White House grounds. They would perform a drill ceremony and then they would leave. And then they would either go to a religious service or they would go back to their uh, go back to their um, Masonic hall on 13th Street. They would have these events, but who would know about them? And to me, these are just as fantastic. These are just as interesting. These are just as engaging. That you have hundreds of thousands of knights at, at times, at certain times, especially when there was a grand conclave in DC, marching on the Capitol, marching on Pennsylvania Avenue, regularly, routinely. This started, by the way, this Masonic White House inspection ceremony began during President Grant's administration. Ulysses S. Grant, there are references of him coming out and watching the Knights Templar march through the White House. And we and we have those. Fortunately, we have those in newspaper records and and some but not many uh, official White, um, official Knights Templar proceedings. These ceremonies occur in regularity through mckinley through taft and end around herbert hoover's administration in fact a week or two after the stock market crash the knights templar continue and still do their um uh, uh drill and in white house inspection ceremony See, and they caused I, it i think one of the reasons why we have the annual knights templar easter sunrise service is because of this fact it's because he, they got some flack and the, and the Knights Templar in D.C. got flack for this. And so they decided we've got to do something that's a little bit more inclusive and more supportive of what's going on. And then they switched over to a Knights Templar, the, the Easter Sunrise Service. That makes yeah. make you know, sense.
2: I got to say, you can really tell when we have a guest on who knows their stuff. <laughs> Chris. Well, I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, th- this uh, incredible text you've put together, aside, uh, you're just blowing us away, man.
4: This Thank you. Awesome. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. John, you, you were sharing a, a picture there. So this is actually during uh, Ford's administration, excuse me, not Reagan, Ford's administration. The, the picture on now the left. We're going to fast forward, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, if you don't mind. So, this is another 1900s. one of these interesting things. Now, up until Ford's administration, oh, it was really Truman, right? Truman was the last Masonic president, but Ike Eisenhower attended the Masonic breakfast in Washington, D.C. Nixon met Masons at his residence as well as at uh, the residence while he was vice president and the White House. We have pictures of Nixon meeting. You know uh, the Scottish Rite Masons. My favorite picture, by the way, is JFK shaking hands with uh, members of the Supreme Council of the Southern Jurisdiction. Oh, I just, cool. I just love that picture. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't think about sharing it, but but it's in the book, and perhaps you can take a look at it. Um, this, however, what you're seeing here is a memo during Ford's administration when Ford would receive, regularly receive, you know, invites to attend and honorary memberships. And so on the left-hand side, you see that it was the 33rd degree class in, I think it's Michigan. And so these are the types of letters, again, digitized, the the presidential libraries are now being digitized so greatly that you can find these online. And so I found this memo online and the, and William Timmons, who was a secretary supporting the White House was reaching out and saying, okay, do we, do we want to do this? It looks like it's not a problem, but you can see at the bottom of of the of the page here, I see no I see no negative in authorizing a class to be designated in your honor. However, to Masonic visibility, you know, they're talking about the visibility of Freemasonry. They're talking about, is this a good idea or is this not a good idea? On the third page, on the second page, excuse me, the thing on the right is a list of uh Masonic honorary memberships that Ford received. During, I think, this 1974 part of it is administration. Now, what I didn't show you, unfortunately, because I just didn't have enough space, was this was part of a memo that Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld were highlighting and saying he can join this one. He cannot join this one. He can join this one. He cannot join this one. Really? They were going through identifying what are the politically advantageous um, affiliations to support? What are the ones that are not uh, supportive? And so- this again is one of these things you don't talk about, you don't hear about it. But you know, Cheney and Rumsfeld were signing off on: Do we want him to be a member of, um, you know, Ararat Temple in Kansas City, Missouri? Well, I don't, I don't see the turtles on here. Well, well you I mean, it's your sweet ass. You don't.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice kid-friendly show we had while it last.
2: That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've heard that <laughs> word before. So, when can you, can you go back to that slide? Uh, sure. John So on this Chris yes. in your research have you found other documents like this where they said no
4: you can't join the masons or uh, the the so the way that the the documents were presented were with that at the bottom there you'd see it was like no objection see me or you know i think ask yeah ask to have a rain check see me or no objection and so we don't know we i, I don't know if the president ordered them to sign off on these I don't know if the president had a veto power we just have a static look at those memos as they were digitized so uh, unfortunately I couldn't tell you if Ford had like the final say or declined um, now some of these Masonic organizations maybe certainly know more than I do because they would have gotten a letter saying yes or no um, but at the very least this material is out there it's in the presidential libraries you can go yourself and find them you don't need a Uh, you know, a schmuck like me to do it for you, you can go and find it yourself and start to read and and see those things. You'll start to see that this was not done during Truman's. Truman accepted he was a Mason through and through Ford had to be because of his position and because of the the nature of how he got into the presidency. He had to be very careful about his perception. And unfortunately in the 1970s and eighties, we're starting to see a shift in, in what the president, or who the president can engage with. And what I noticed was right around that time, the 70s and 80s, the focus was not on, look at these Masonic principles that we want to inculcate or talk to you about. It was, look at the charity, look at the financial things that we're doing to help our neighborhoods, our communities, the Scottish Rite, you know, Eye uh, Center, the Knights Templar Foundation. The focus went from masonic principles discussing masonic principles or, or or those values to let's talk about the charity let's talk about how much money we're making let's my money we're making i mean in terms of fundraising and financing and and that in itself is something you can spend a whole you know meaning talking about right like why did we go from that shift from esoteric to we're just another society that's doing fundraising and and, and lots right. of Freemasons were former Politics presidents. Politics over and so we're personality. Here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then we got one more picture here. We- yeah.
4: I, I love this picture Ooh. and I, I because at the bottom of the picture, you, so I went through. So one of the cool things is uh, starting in. I I believe it was Calvin Coolidge's administration. Well, the first secretary, the press secretary, really started with Calvin Coolidge. And in fact, I do have a note from Calvin Coolidge when he, they didn't have a press secretary. He went out and spoke to the press himself. So he answered questions. He did all the stuff that you would now have a press secretary for. And so in one of those, they talked about creating a diary of daily activities to track his activities. Well, what you see here is right from ford's daily activity for that day when the masons participated in a ceremony in the white house and what they were doing was basically conferring the royal arch and the cryptic degrees in the oval office and here's a photographic evidence of of, of the dc grand uh, grand chapter and grand council that performed it take a look at the start time and the end time what was that 30 minutes They conferred the entire thing in 30 minutes. In fact, what they did was they went to the Roosevelt room. They opened up a session, a special session of the grand chapter and the grand council. They then walked across the hall into the oval office. They assembled and we have photographs from the photographers, taking photographs of them, assembling the altar and doing all that stuff. They then conferred, they they kicked the photographers out who weren't masons. They conferred the degrees through, you know, an out proclamation he showed. They showed them the grip, the words, the signs, everything. And then after 30 minutes, they went back to the Teddy Roosevelt room and closed the session down. I was gonna say and that's like that's easily that's like an hour and a half degree. You, look, what's ahead. better than what's better than a one-day conferral? 30-minute conferral in the Oval Office. Yeah,
1: in your in your living room, love it. It's like when John listens to Audible on 3x speed.
0: <laughs> love it. Can't get enough.
4: And, and by the way, that's the only mention, right? Like that little sliver, like you could have, if, if I didn't hit control F on that day and maybe typed in something else, you know, even look how masonry was slightly, you know, messed up in the OCR. I could have missed but it. That's, that's, that's a really the cool little point. reference.
0: So let me, let me just clarify. Yes. So there was actually Masonic degrees happening in the white house not the first by the way that's not the
4: first
3: what i was about what? to ask i was about to ask so um, <laughs> say
4: more well you of course you know that there's the secret room where all the masonic well, degrees are conferred uh, yes every obviously year. Where, where they store the skulls. Yes. Mm-hmm. yeah well we know that benjamin b french was the first one to initiate or perform an initiation again joe's favorite guy benjamin B. french initiated andrew johnson into the scottish right at the white house and that was a two-man that was a two-man job they went in they had lunch then they went into his personal residence and they conferred the fourth to the 32nd degree within i think i'm going to say a couple hours i did not know that no powerpoint then why powerpoint and why do we we need like
1: 20 person degree teams
4: yes Two man operation, one guy holding the book and one guy slapping him in the face. That's what I, that's what I think. And, and one to correct him. Yes. That's right, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes.
3: Hey, Chris, well, I, got a, I, got, I got a question. Please. Um, since, since you're on this this vein. Um, yeah. A couple of people have asked this in the chat. Sure. Has a, has a blue law, a craft lodge ever
4: been opened in the White House? No. Okay. Well. the the reason why i don't know the answer to that is because the federal lodge number 1 records begin at 1806 the white house started construction i'm sorry not 1806 oh no it is 1806 yes that's right the white house construction began in 1794 92 93 94 and so we don't have the first decade of masonic activity for the white house unfortunately what I would assume is because at least 10 of... So the number of Masons who actually were part of Federal Lodge that helped build the White House, there are about 10 or 12 known Masons from that Lodge. There are about 20 or 30 Freemasons that we know that helped during that initial construction. Now, that's out of 150 workers. So to make the claim, by the way, that all only Masons built the White House is, is incorrect, or that Masons, we helped build the White House... But it doesn't mean that we all just build the White House. Um, now, I don't know if there was a Masonic activity in and around the White House at that time. Um, but one of the things, and one of these, this is one of the things that um, I mentioned as sort of my key takeaways, is we love to talk about our, our achievements and activities. And if you're telling me that a Mason had a meeting in the White House, we would have known that. It would have been repeated. It would have been in every single, it would have been something that we, you know, federal would be having a meeting every year on (laughs) that day, letting them know. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. We claim to be a secret society, but when it comes to this stuff, when it comes to all these social activities, these things, we proudly talk about our accomplishments and we go over them to the point of when people are like, okay, let's stop talking about this because every year you talk about the same thing. Like, Did you
1: know George Washington was a Freemason?
4: He was a great Freemason. I pause. Appos- I had to, I had to- <laughs> yes. But again, y- you know, so back to, and I apologize if I'm, I'm rambling again, but back to you, Joe, I think what you're trying to go as for is there were initiations that occurred that we know of. Those initiations were often not craft lodge related. They were, it wasn't, it wasn't the first three degrees um taft became a member of the grotto um there's a famous picture of fdr getting his d malay um uh honors honorary yep yeah yes yeah, and i think he's not even i think he wasn't a legion of honor he was an honorary member of the supreme council if if, if, if that's correct but someone in the d will correct me in the chat um and johnson got his 32nd degree there yeah. So there were a couple, there were a couple of Masonic activities, but they were mostly appendant body related. Nothing Blue Lodge, nothing Craft Lodge. And the first Masonic meeting at the Capitol that we know of happened, I think, in the '70s or in the '80s, 1970s, 1980s. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Nice.
0: Well, cool. Hey, uh, I think we need to start bringing it home because uh, we could we could just nerd out. All night.
4: Yeah, sorry. I can, right. I can But you got to
0: leave something for the people who read the book, right? 40% right.
4: never
3: covered. So Ever covered? <laughs> how much, Ever. Question, how, how much of that 40% has to do with George Washington? 39.5%. Uh, 0, and a half
4: percent. zero. Oh, it's mostly actually you know what it is it's mostly non-masonic administrations like ulysses s grant attending knights templar balls and dinners and nice and and by the way when i meant by interactions what i count as an interaction is a dinner a masonic reception invitations letters of correspondence all those types of things so it's not 100 or 450 meetings at the white house it's a plethora of different types of activities
1: plethora of pinatas
4: of pinatas
1: does the book have pictures chris
4: yes i well got i tried to i tried to throw a picture in at least once in one in each chapter just to you know entice the reader spice it up
0: yes because there are masons who don't read uh uh,
4: can i answer the question about the white house stones yeah may i do it okay and that's a great so truman's truman's secretary who happens to be a mason is alerted to the fact that during the renovation of the White House, they discovered stones down in the foundation of the White House. Now, we believe those foundation stones are the same foundation stones that were laid by a group of Freemasons, or non-Freemason stone builders? Operative masons. Correct, operative masons. Were they all Masonic in nature? No. Remember I told you, 20 to 30 masons we know of worked in the building. Well, there were a hundred and something marks that were discovered. So clearly, some of those Masonic stones that were delivered to each of the Grand Lodges are absolutely connected to the White House, but may, may not necessarily be connected to a Freemason. And I am trying my best, it's really difficult, but I'm trying my best to f- compile all of those. So, if you are a member of a Grand Lodge and you have access to one of those stones, if you would, wouldn't mind sharing the picture of it, so we can start to place those connections. And Because we so, fortunately, we do we do have some individual stones that we can document, but so we don't have all.
0: Of them. Funny story yeah. about that. Um, tell me,
4: tell me the story.
0: Ah, see, this could get somebody in trouble, but I'll, I'll say it. Don't, anyway. don't, don't, don't get <laughs> do it. Do it. No, no, no. Go so it's not like it's going to St- be on the internet forever.
1: No, by no way.
0: I want to be able to search the transcripts and, and yeah. search it by AI. So visiting St. Louis, there were, um, a couple lodges that got some of those white house yeah. stones and I got, uh, a side conversation with, uh, illustrious Steve Harrison who said hey just so you know um people weren't supposed to know about that apparently it was like a private gift to that lodge um but it was not something that was documented published made a big deal out of right and so like it was kind of one of those we don't know where it ended up wink wink nudge nudge and then yet this lodge has it on display you know, in their library and they show it off to every visitor who comes by yeah. so you know i was <laughs> like, like well you? sorry i yeah. i didn't know that this this the That's... neon signs pointing to look here at this right. Right. <laughs> this stone that, is a secret. literally
3: goes back <laughs> to what chris was saying about how we love to
4: advertise all the exactly. awesome crap that have. yeah do. <laughs>
0: secret masonic block right here
4: yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i love the stone story because it is a nice connection to the white house regardless of you know, regardless of if that was a Masonic stone from a Freemason operative or not, I think it's still a nice connection to the White House. Um, And and I think it exemplifies, you know, the resiliency of those stones, they survived burning down of of the War of 1812. I mean, they, they they survived all these different things, the stones were still there. And, and, and Truman, true to his word, and he was smart, I, I, I argue, I think he was smart, and saying, like, I think, this is a great PR. I think, I think the White House stones were one of the best marketing jobs ever because it was a way of connecting Masons who may not necessarily have a connection in California or in Washington or some other states. In fact, they were sent out the side of the United States as well. We have paperwork from outside oh, the United States as well. Yeah, so different places mm. receive these stones. A- and and it's a nice connection to a piece of American history. and th- And that's the point, right? At the end of the day, the stuff that I like, the stuff that I research and the stuff that RJ mentioned that like, I can go on and off is stuff that sometimes isn't really talked about, but I think is inherently part of the mystique of the interest of Freemasonry. You know?
0: All right. So how about this? As we start to wrap things up, Chris will save you to next to last. Sure. But I'll I'll ask the other hosts to name a president and see if Chris can spout off the top of his head. Oh, an, come on. An interesting fact. I, I know. You did a lot of research. This stuff's gotta be fresh. If not, we completely understand because you know, when you get sure. into writing a book, it's kind of hard. Sure. And so so Joe, Joe really wants to go first. I do. So I'll let him go last. And start with No, I'm kidding. So I'll start with Joe.
3: Go ahead, Joe. Okay. I'm gonna make it really really easy for you. Tell me about something that we've not heard about George Washington. <gasps> Mark Taber covered it. Well, we day. don't have Mark Taber on the show, do we? That's Come true. <laughs> That's true.
4: That's true. I think. I think. All right. How about this? We're 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 getting into an interesting, um, an interesting part of history. Next year will be a bicentennial of the Marquis de Lafayette's visit to the United States. Ooh. Now. According to newspapers, and I've confirmed it in the um, Masonic biography, or not biography, excuse me, the Masonic proceedings of one of the lodges that participated in his uh, dinner at Alexandria, Washington, 22. Lafayette gave George Washington a set of uh, a, what do you call it? Uh, You know, uh, we believe, I believe it's the sash and the jewel that you see in the aw22 portrait now Ooh. i have no confirmation of that Ooh. but that's what i believe i like it it's now funny now. funny thing happened during lafayette's visit out to the midwest does anyone remember what happened to lafayette there was a very unfortunate occurrence that happened on his trip and those items were lost i think it's in the ohio river oh did he capsize It was a shipwreck and he lost almost all of his Masonic certificates and jewels and all those things because it went under one of the rivers. So we don't know if his Masonic George Washington stuff survived. Wow. Because there is no record of it. And most of Lafayette's original papers were lost on that trip when the ship capsized it, it it sort of ran aground it was the middle of the night and even that evening now luckily everyone survived the, the the we were able to get off the boat and lafayette um slept on a mattress under an umbrella on you know on the side of the river that night thanks but, ohio I, I believe it was ohio now again i'm not a lafayette expert even though I claim to be, but that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's an interesting, that's an interesting George nice. Washington story. I like it. So I like it. I like if, it. if there's a brother out there going spelunking or deep diving into that river, you may find George Washington's jewels or his sash.
0: Nice. Nothing like finding George
2: Washington's jewels, Robert.
3: Hi-o. Mm-hmm. Hey-o.
2: All right. So I've got one. And if you don't know anything, then I'll ask you your opinion on something. Sure. So
4: Rutherford B. Hayes. Rutherford B. Hayes, if, if, if I'm remembering myself correctly, he was a member of the temperance movement. And so Rutherford B. Hayes was not a Mason. I believe Rutherford B. Hayes' father was a Mason. And so there is a apron... I don't remember which where Rutherford Hayes is from, but there is an apron of his father in that affiliated Grand Lodge. Man, you're too good. I'm not I'm not this sure guy. if Brother. I'm not sure if it's Rutherford B. Hayes that I'm thinking of, but I believe he was in the temperance movement, and so he was not affiliated with Freemasonry. Somebody saying RBH was from Ohio,
3: so it could all be with the Lafayette jewels and all, everything, oh, everything is converging in Ohio, people. We gotta get of Ohio. Yeah.
4: By the way, the Mississippi River—you know, lots of tributaries. Maybe it's Mississippi. Maybe it's Ohio. Mia culpa. It's not in my Washington, D.C. <laughs> hey, White I, House. I applaud you for me.
0: going off the cuff. Yes, Jason,
4: brother Chris,
1: tell me if you would a little bit about. Millard Fillmore's Masonic Connection.
4: Baby, do I know something about Millard Fillmore. (laughs) Millard Fillmore started his Masonic... Oh, excuse me. Millard Fillmore started his political career as an anti-Mason. He joined anti-Masonry as a, uh, you know, as a congressman. He immediately after winning his seat said, I'm not affiliating with this group. They're all a bunch of crazies. And so he went rogue and lost his seat afterwards but when willard fillmore got into the white house eventually it was the time his his administration aligned with the cornerstone laying ceremony for the extension of the united states capitol so not the first part of the capitol but the extension to grow because the si- you know they were building a bigger building And so that was the first extension I want to say in 1851 and someone can tell me I'm wrong in the chat and that's fine. Um, He declined to have the Masons participate because he said, well, if I've got to bring the Freemasons, I've got to bring the Red Men. I've got to bring the Temperance. I've got to bring the Odd Fellows. I've got to bring all these other people. And I don't want to bring all these other people. Can't we just have our own little ceremony? And can we do we really need to bring the Masons involved? Now, Benjamin B. French, there's going to be this is like the um, this is like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Whenever I said the word, you all have to, you know, do something. Um, yeah, exactly. So when Benjamin B. French finds out about it, he goes, I told you so. I don't know why. By the way, he was Grandmaster that time. He's like, I told you so. What did you expect? And this is from his diary. He said that, you know, it, it smelled like the stench of, of anti-Masonry or, or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. But he was like, yeah, of course, he's an anti-Mason. He never liked the Masons. Of course, he wouldn't have the masons come and perform this ceremony well according to french's journal he says that set off all the other masons in congress and in washington dc and so as part of that as as part of that um you know rebuke rebuke of of him saying no no thank you no masons are in, you know in my ceremony there was enough pressure applied on the president to make him change his mind Now, here's what Millard Fillmore does, because he's just a great guy. He says, well, fine, I'll let the Masons come. And they have four days to prepare a massive ceremony and cornerstone ceremony. Now, all of you brothers know it takes a lot less time to organize a massive Masonic event and ceremony. Not only four days, because we're so efficient and we have we're so good (laughs) at our ability to organize. And so he said, well, fine, as a little Ne- you know a little turn of the screw he said i'll i'll give him 4 days good luck so Benjamin french had to schedule and arrange a massive masonic ceremony in 4 days now what does french do i should have a beer right now uh what does french do french <laughs> drunk history i know oh boy oh boy all right uh so what french does is well he instructs the president of the united states to join him below Uh, where the cornerstone is and he asks him to do the grandmaster's work i want you to inspect the stone mr president and i want you to tell me when it's ready to be laid and so that is the little jab in the heart of uh mr millard fillmore Sirad, you are love me some bbf awesome that's awesome bbf man love it all right so before i get to mine Seems like I've convinced Nanya Business that he hasn't heard this new interesting story before. It's forty percent. It's all forty percent. He he
0: knew everything. Go ahead. <laughs> so let's. uh, You know what? If if you show off to one guy, that's all that matters. Let's go. Get um, the best. Get into. Where can we find a copy of the book?
4: It's in pre-order right now through McCoy, and I, I'd like to say we're all fine Masonic books are sold on McCoy.com. Of course Uh, it's uh, it's right now on, on a pre-order and we hope to have books in mid September. So if you've already ordered, I know that initially we said that it was going to arrive in, in late August, but you should have received an email saying that it got pushed because printing is just so crazy now um, that there's, there's been a push for that, unfortunately, but mid September you can get the book um, and I'd be happy to, uh, you know, if I ever see you, I'd be happy to sign it at Masonic Week if you're if you're bringing a book um, and happy to come and visit and do Masonic presentations. And if there's any lodges, I, I reached out to RJ to help me out with that as well. If If anyone is interested in having me come as a speaker, I'm happy to come and speak at your lodge event Thanks. or a regional Masonic retreat. What's your what's your travel distance? My travel distance is happy to do so. Happy to go anywhere you want. Uh, my, I professionally go to um, lots of different countries because I work in infectious disease. And so I am always in places where people don't want to go.
0: Yeah. Stay far away.
4: And As Good. my wife says, business has been booming the last couple of years. <clears throat>
0: wow. That's fascinating. Gotcha. Yes.
4: I didn't <laughs> know
3: that before I booked you to come to our lodge in four weeks. So thank you. <laughs> I'm going to go day. like
4: this. <coughs> <and then laughs> <you can laughs> back
3: away. Yes. Let's go. Just up. hug everybody awesome all
0: right so it's over to me i'll, I'll stay outside the lodge meeting is Tyler. yes, that night. yes. <laughs> uh brother chris thank you so much it's been, thank you uh, guys all, all everything i was expecting and more um we appreciate uh your your dedication to the craft your zeal for for knowledge and just everything you did to pull this together uh because you know all kidding aside like it, this book was way overdue i'm so thankful for you to pull this together because the amount of information out there has not been validated has not been corroborated. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it, it's really. Extending the breadth of Masonic information and knowledge for, for you to do this and Hey, look, you've given all these other brothers, great, a great resource to pull from with. they want to pull some Masonic education together. Cause now they've, they've got it from, from as close to the source as possible. So thank you.
4: Thank you. Awesome. Yes, kudos, man. <clears throat>
0: okay. So. President for you. I'm gonna see if I can throw you a curveball, and if not, oh, man. I, got, I got some other ones lined up. Oh man, I'm... William Henry Harrison. His a very, a short timer.
4: Oh boy. Okay, you ready for this one?
0: Oh no, you don't.
4: You right. got you. Oh, wait, he got me. Hold on. Benjamin Harrison was the son, right? Or no, I'm sorry, the grandson. Is that I right? I believe so. Okay, William Henry Harrison starts off his career seeking interest in the anti-Masonic vote, right? So this is the time when he's running for president. He is not really a good candidate. He, th- you know, the other people who are running for president at the time, you know, uh, I think Henry Clay, a couple other big key figures. William Henry Harrison comes in and he promises, well, I'm going to be the, 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 the president candidate that brings everyone together. And one of the groups that need to be brought together were the anti-Masons. Now, at this time, when William Henry Harrison was running for office, the anti-Masonry, or anti-Masonry in general, was on a steep decline. Uh, they lost their, their first pitch, their first attempt with a guy. Um, oh, jeez, I, I just forgot his name. He was the Attorney General, and I just forgot his name. And who was the presidential candidate? He was from Maryland. I forgot his name. Anyway, he lost... And the the political party basically fizzled by the 1840s, but there was still a, a political party. And so by that time, during his first try, you know, during his first run, his first attempt at being as running for president, he said, "Great, I'll bring in the Freemasons." Or I'm sorry, the Anti-Masons. His next run for office, he goes the opposite way. He goes, well, "I don't, I don't know about these guys." they're not doing so well they seem to be really fanatical i mean like they go to these conventions and all of their political policies are basically let's just get rid of secret societies and fraternities that's one of, also that's one of the things that drives me nuts when people talk about anti-masonry yes it started with anti right. anti-masonry freemasonry but they wanted to eliminate all secret they exactly. was called all secret oath-based societies so Even the anti-Masons don't get a good rap, right? So anyway, he at this time, he's like, I'm not sure about bringing these guys in, but here's what I'll do because I need their votes. We'll do a don't ask, don't tell. I'm not going to ask you if you're a Mason and I'm not and and you're not going to tell me if you're a Mason. And as long as we're good with that, then you can serve in my administration. The anti-Masons are excited. Okay, great. Well, it seems like he's amenable to our policies. We just don't want these Masons in there. And maybe we'll convert him and change him because initially he was very interested. But now he's not so much because the party's not doing well. And so he somehow finagles and basically they receive his support. Well, what happens with William Henry Harrison?
0: I'm sure you guys know. Dies in 30 days.
4: He dies because he that day in Washington, D.C., in in his inauguration, it is one of the coldest days on record. It was sleety. It was rainy. It was not a good time to not wear a coat. It was not a good time to not wear a hat. And it was not a good time to not not be in a carriage. And all of those things he declined. He refused to wear his coat. He refused to wear his hat. He refused to be in a carriage. He wanted to ride on a horse.
3: And to add. Like my six-year-old. Sounds like my 10 year old. Yeah,
4: exactly. (laughs) So at the end of, yeah, that's true. Um, At the end of the inauguration, by the way, longest presidential speech in record. So not only that, but he speaks the longest. He's like me right now. He's speaking so much time. (laughs) And so he commands the floor afterwards. He gets a little sick because he's also attending all these events and he's slightly older man. And so he falls and dies he doesn't literally fall but he gets sick i think it's pneumonia i think he dies from pneumonia yeah. um, 30 days later mm-hmm. destroying any attempt by the anti-masons they thought they won they finally had a candidate their wow. first candidate lost we finally got a good guy who said we'll enact the don't act don't tell policy i don't want to know that you're a mason and don't tell me that you're a mason and we'll be fine and so the anti-masonic party withers away and dies with the last gasp of William Henry Harrison. Man, wow! Kudos. I've literally been it. working on this for five years. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we couldn't so, tell, right? Well said. Well said. Hypothermia. Thank you, Dennis, brother nice. Kramer. Mm.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, excellent job, brother Chris. Again, second kudos and thank you for thank from you TMR and uh, congratulations on the book in advance. Thank you. So, with that, you know where to find the book. <clears throat> go to mccoy.com and you can go search up book. It'll be out very soon. And I do wanna give a special shout out uh, to brother Chris for uh, writing all the way up through and including the 47th president. So that was really good that you had the foresight to get ahead of the election, <laughs> find out uh, which which Masonic president uh, is coming up next. And if you wanna find out, you gotta buy the book. So yep. uh, So stay tuned for that. With that, I want to thank you all very much for watching and keep searching for more light. Have a good night. Wow. Wow.